2: well, thanks again to David Kincaid for bringing in our show. Again, we are on Hallowed Ground. We're at the confluence of Wall Street and Broadway, Trinity Church, Trinity Church Graveyard. Very famous Americans are buried there. And so we're in Trinity Building, which is Hallowed Ground. Now, for those of you who don't know the show, the first part of the show was about estate planning and elder law. The idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally avoiding going through court, that's avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, and it's not necessarily equal parts, we talk about different subjects, politics, history, religion, charitable giving, or whatever. Tonight we're going to be talking about geopolitical uh, issues as far as the world seas are going, American sea power. We're going to be talking to Admiral James Stravitas, former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. We're also going to be talking just a little bit of hockey because our old friend John Potman's on again with Monsignor Lepinto from Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens and they're going to be talking about the work that Catholic Charities of Brooklyn does you know throughout the Brooklyn Queens area. My wife Beth is uh, off tonight so we have two people from the office substituting, Adriana Lima. Hello. Okay, and Bridget Greco. <laughs> Hi. Okay, so Adriana, I think you're going to read the first email question on board for tonight, right?
3: Yes, I am. You ready? Yep. Okay, so it says, Hello, I am 76 and have a few assets. I do have a small annuity and some money in a fund, which are marked to be split between my three children. Do I still need a will, or would the money automatically be distributed in my children if I die? I would appreciate your advice. Thanks, May."
2: Okay, well, there are a couple of parts to the question. The one thing, as far as the annuity is concerned, Yes, ordinarily, whatever's in the annuity would go to your children without a problem. The question is, a lot of people say, I have everything in my children's name. And then I ask them, well, how's the deed to your house read? And, you know, they give me a blank. And you look up the deed online, and you see that it's with their deceased husband's name and wife's name, which means that your name alone, the children's names are not on it. And that's where we think about a trust agreement, where it's your house as long as you're alive. And after you're gone, the house goes automatically to the children. But let's say you don't have a house. Do you need a will? Yes. There are a lot of little things that can pop up. Now, it hasn't happened very often, but I have seen it, where let's say annuity beneficiaries, IRA beneficiary designations, they've been lost. And if they've been lost, it's going to be a lot easier to collect those assets if we have a will with a named executor than if we don't. You may own a car. You know, ordinarily you're not going to put your children's name on the car. So let's say you have a car. You need to sell it after you got it. It's a lot easier to sell the car with a will than it is without. A lot of times some people forget about a small checking account. Maybe we have $3,000, $5,000 in a checking account. You don't have anybody's name on the check. Well, it would be a lot easier to collect it with the will. Sometimes people die in the apartment. The police put up a seal in front of the apartment, you know, one of those yellow seals. Sometimes it's a lot easier. It is a lot easier to get that seal off if we have a will with a named executor. Everybody should have a will cuz you never not quite know what's going to happen. But we plan that we don't use the will as our first line of defense so to speak, but we everybody should have a will that goes without saying. Then we want to put the assets in such a way where let's say in your case the children are on all your assets. And by the way, if you have if anybody has a question you want to call in tonight. The phone number is 1-866-970- 1-866-970-9622. And so, Adriana, uh, you went to law school. Where would you go to law school?
3: I went to CUNY over by Queens College. Uh-huh. So I went to CUNY Law, and now they're actually located in Long Island City. And that would have saved me about half of my commute at the time.
2: Well, it made <laughs> you tougher, or whatever. <laughs> if somebody wants to email us a question, what's the email address?
3: The email is the answer. One word, no space, at connersandsullivan.com.
2: Okay, we have a second email question tonight. Again, if you want to call in, the phone number is one eight six six nine seven zero
3: nine six two two. We sure do. So the second question is: Good day. What happens if my name isn't on the deed or mortgage, and my spouse dies? Am I automatically entitled to the home? I am concerned that if he was to die, would I be entitled to the paid-off property even without a will? And that comes to us from Bay.
2: Okay, well, there's a lot of unanswered questions there. One, does the husband have children? And if the husband has children, well, then definitely it's not automatic. And a lot of people don't realize this. Sometimes we have a husband and wife. They own a house together. And for whatever reason, let's say the husband owned the house before the marriage. His wife's name is not on the deed. Well, he passes away without a will, but roughly half the house goes to his wife, half the house goes to his children, which may or may not be what he wants, but ordinarily you'd want a will. And in those cases, you want at least a provision, even if you're not going to leave the house to the spouse, that maybe you, the spouse can't get kicked out by the the children, which occasionally happens. I've seen that happen. You know, one time mother left the house to her kids, and then the two kids wanted to evict their father um, because there was no provision in there. So... You know, nothing's automatic. Now, if you're married, there are no children, no grandchildren. The house, in theory, with no will, passes the surviving spouse. It still would be better with a will because it could be a question whether there was a will. There might be a delay. You might have to be bonded, whatever. So in that case, you should have a will or he should have a will. But it's not automatic between husband and wife. Yes, if you're married, there are no children, no grandchildren husband dies, the wife will inherit the property. There's no question about that, but it still would be easier if you have a will. we got a question from Catherine in Westchester. Yes, Catherine, what's your question?
4: Hi. Um, I have a, an irrevocable trust that I set up, and I originally had it set up for an attorney, and, and they, they designated a trustee, and they charged me an annual fee to act as my trustee. Um, I had actually called you a couple months ago and I mm-hmm. found out that I can pretty much name anybody that I'm willing to trust with my assets and my money and, and the designations in it with my children. Um, but my question today is I've done all that. Now, I've changed my trust and I've renamed it. Um, basically, it's the children's godmother who is the trustee. Do I need to – I live in New York. Do I need to file this anywhere um, to prove that this is my actual trust? My legal trust, or do I the, just need to give, give a copy? Or how does, I, I how just does don't you, know if there's any legal requirements to file.
2: How does the D to your house read? Do you know?
4: Um, right now, it's in my name. I haven't added the house to the trust yet.
2: Okay, the well only that's thing in the just, trust
4: right now in my bank account.
2: Well, just make sure that each bank account has the proper trustee. Is are you who who's the who's the trustee right now? Your godmother is she listed as the trustee with all these banks? No. Well, that you got to do I that. I just
4: put the banks into the trust.
2: Yeah, but when you put the banks into the trust, they needed to know who the trustee was.
4: Um, They might have put it. I gave them a copy of the trust. Um, actually, you know, I should look at that. I, I don't right. know. The,
2: the bank account, and here's you are bringing up a very good point. You know, a trust is a document, but by itself it doesn't do very much. If you have a trust, you have to transfer your assets into the trust for it to be effective. And if you have a house... Uh, you want the deed of the house to read the name of the trust. Now, I assume your children are young from the tone of the conversation. Yes. Okay, so I would think then you would be a little bit young to do an irrevocable trust. I mean, it's never quite a right answer to that. But ordinarily, if you have younger children, you do a revocable trust and wait until your children of age before you do an irrevocable trust, let's say where you're in partnership with your children. But, um, but
4: I did an irrevocable trust because my husband passed away, um, and... I just wanted to make sure—I had spoken to a lawyer and a state planner afterwards, and I just wanted to make sure he, he addressed things like if, God forbid, I, I hit somebody with car or something, that they could sue me and take everything, and yeah, the only ta- way that I could protect the assets was put them in an irrevocable trust for my children because they are so young.
2: No, that's true, except your house right now, if you, if you did hit somebody in that car accident, they might be able to put a lien on your house. So
4: I, I plan on putting my house in. Okay. I just haven't gotten to it yet. All right, I, my house is going into this trust.
2: Okay, well, very good. And but you know, I just keep in mind that a trust—it's kind of like a suitcase. You got to put the assets into the suitcase; otherwise, it's not effective. A trust by itself does nothing. But you have to transfer no, the assets into the trust.
4: I, I understand that. Okay. I, I'm just mo- I have the trust. Set I'm also talking way. to the I'm listeners too. Everything. Um, I'm taking it away from the attorney being the trustee who's charging me $1,500 a year to be my trustee. So, I mean, I I understand everything needs to be moved over. I'm just moving it over piece by piece, but everything is going in. But my question to you is, once I do this, do I have to file this legally somewhere?
2: No, not necessarily. Of course, when when you transfer the house into the trust, the county clerk has to know who the trustee is, whether it's your friend or whomever.
4: So I need to file this trust with the county clerk.
2: Well, when you transfer your deed into it.
4: Okay, but everything else.
2: No, so it's I just, just need the to bank. Have the
4: trustee have a copy of it and Right, the bank. The bank down. has to have
2: has to know who the trustee is.
4: Well, the bank has it because okay. they already moved my bank account. And the
2: account should be in the name of the trust, whatever the, your name is.
4: Well, if they moved them, then they must have. I'm going to check that though as soon as I get home. <laughs> okay. Okay. Very good.
2: Um, good luck. Any other question, Catherine? Okay, I guess that's it. We'll take a short break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors.
3: I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a a burden to me.
5: I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time. gradually quit going.
3: No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, If you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there.
6: We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to
0: attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it.
3: There's peace in our home that we didn't have before.
0: You're coming home to a Catholic family where people
1: today
5: just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. For
1: our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors & Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills and estate planning, and more.
5: Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors & Sullivan's free seminars. On Monday,
1: July 17th at Vesuvio Restaurant, 7305 3rd Avenue in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. At Buckley's, 2926 Avenue S. in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn on Tuesday, July 18th at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m and on Thursday, July 20th at the Montauk Club, 25 8th Avenue in Park Slope, Brooklyn at 3 pm and 7 pm.
5: Can't go to any Connors and Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors and Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment.
1: Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors and Sullivan at 718-238-6500. That's Connors & Sullivan, 718-238-6500, or go to connorsandsullivan.com.
5: Find out what you're entitled to. Come to a Connors & Sullivan free seminar. For more information, call 718-238-6500, or go to connorsandsullivan.com.
1: Connors & Sullivan, plan now or later. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got a question for Mike? Call him at 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622.
2: Okay, well, welcome back. Uh, We've got George from Regal Park. Yes, George, what's your question?
4: Hey, uh, how how you doing, Mr. Connors? I got a quick question for you. Uh, my grandma, she uh, transferred a house over to my ma back in the uh, 80s without a life estate. Uh, one of my friends, he's an accountant, and he was telling me uh, that if uh, if she had done it with this life estate thing, uh, we wouldn't have to pay taxes when my ma sells the house. Is this true?
2: Yes, very true. Is your, mo- your grandmother still alive?
4: Uh, you know, she's she, she's still with us, thankfully. Yes.
2: Okay. <laughs> All right, so you know, you still have time to correct that situation. And sometimes, you know, all we need to do is do some kind of writing that, you know, that your mother had a life, your grandmother had a life estate, and maybe we file it, maybe we don't. Depends on whether we want to get a veterans or senior citizen exemption from your grandmother, which is another thing a lot of people don't, you know, don't realize they, you know, parent deeds the house over to the child, the parent is entitled to a senior citizen's exemption or a star program or veterans exemption and they lose that um if they just eat it to the kid but the biggest thing assuming your mother doesn't live in the house if your grandmother paid let's say twenty thousand dollars for the house whatever 40 years ago and it's worth a million dollars when she's gone mom's going to pay 300 and change in tax three hundred thousand dollars in change in taxes and that's a crucial mistake. oh boy yeah wow so you better correct wow. that hey, you can come wait. in and see us you can come wait. to our middle village oh, office God.
4: What's this uh, veterans exemption? Now, uh, my grandpa, he was the, he was uh, in the air force.
2: Okay, well, if he served during active duty during time of war, his widow is entitled to a veterans exemption.
4: Hey, you learn something new every day. They say, right?
7: Okay,
2: well, that's that's why you listen to the show. All right, we got Cindy. Yes, Cindy, what's your question?
7: Okay, well, Mike, I was just listening um, to your uh, your phone call before about the lady that was uh, had the trust. And, you know, you were saying a trust standing alone, obviously, is no good. You have to put your assets into the trust. So my question is this. Uh, my parents have a trust, okay, and um, my dad passed away a few months ago. But right before he passed away, um, the, the house went into the name of the trust. Or it, it's my question is about how it's worded. Because um, the house is in the trust and we got the, the deed changed over through the uh, county clerk but the way that the the paperwork came back it says uh, my mother's name as tr- as trustee of the um, ABC trust right okay so is that the same or should the house should the deed actually read the ABC trust
2: No, that's correct. Of course, I assume then it's a revocable trust, and your mother still has control of the asset.
7: Right, it's a revocable trust. And, but you know, it it was just the wording when I was listening to the caller before. I was just getting confused. I, you know, I just assumed that now the deed to the house is in the name of the trust. However, it has my mother's name on the deed being the trustee. Yeah, that's the correct way
2: to do it. That is the correct way to do it, yeah. You put the the, the name of the trustee as the representative of the trust on the deed. So if it's your mother, your mother's name as trustee, again, as you said, the ABC trust, whatever you call the trust.
7: All right, so then that that term, that the house is actually now in the name of the trust. Correct. Okay, all right. Thank you for clarifying that. I appreciate
4: it.
2: Okay, you're more than welcome, Cindy. All right, so, Danielle, what's your question, Danielle?
4: Hi, yes, I just had a question about um, my sister. She was making me her godmother um, to her daughter. So I wasn't sure if that meant something like, did I, um, will I become guardian of my niece if
3: something happened to her?
2: Okay, so Adriana, you want to answer that question?
3: Sure. Okay, Danielle, so the short answer on that is no. You would not become the legal guardian of your goddaughter. Um, to go a little okay. bit more in-depth... The only way that you would be named guardian is if your sister were to, if she were to do a will, and in the will, name you the guardian of her child. Okay, so
4: just by going to a church and and doing the whole nine, that, that doesn't really mean, I guess, anything in the legal sense.
3: Right. So there would be maybe, you know, like a moral obligation, but in terms of legal, it would be through your sister's will. Okay. Okay. And, and a lot sense. of
2: people don't realize this, and I don't want uh, to – you can appoint a guardian by deed. I have never seen it done, but if you read the law and the statutes, you are allowed to appoint a guardian by deed. And, of course, the reason for that is if you wanted to avoid probate and you didn't want to wait because maybe you're the mother of the child and you want your husband or ex-husband to get involved too quickly or you want to avoid probate, you don't want them notified you can appoint a guardian through a deed. Again, I have never seen that happen because 90, 95% of the time when we do the wills or whatever, the husband and wife usually can agree on a guardian. But just keep it in mm-hmm. mind, if you want to avoid probate, even appointing a guardian, there is a way to do it. You do what's called a deed where in that deed, you give custody of your children to someone else upon the event of your passing. And that's if, you know, we have family conflicts and, you know, a lot of times families do get along together. But every once in a while... Things are not that right. smooth, and maybe you know she doesn't want her husband to be guarding the children, or the father of the children to be guarding the or children. There's
3: that one in law, right? There's that one in law <laughs> that might cause a
2: problem, you know. So, but but that's a good question, thank you. Because you know a lot of people think, or some people think, in any event, that if somebody's the godparent, you know, in a church baptism ceremony or whatever, that has no legal authority in New York. Because you know, yes, if you get married, you're married in the state. Of New York, New Jersey, whatever. If you get married in the church, but the the appointing of a godmother, godfather, really has no legal bearing. You have to appoint a guardian of the child, in you know, in a will or in some cases a, a deed, and that's where a lot of people made a mistake. In 9/11, people died young. They didn't appoint a guardian for their minor children, and we had millions of dollars mm-hmm. floating around uh, with nobody in charge. So it is a good point, and thank you for the call, Danielle.
3: Thank you, Danielle.
2: All right, so I guess we'll take another break, and at the end of it, we're going to be talking to Monsignor Lepinto and our old friend, Jot Pontfan, about the Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens.
8: Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. The pro-life movement is winning. One of the signs of progress is the growing mountain of medical evidence that abortion harms women, men, and families. Even researchers who identify themselves as pro-choice are coming to this conclusion and publishing their research. Abortion advocates try to hide and bury this information, but so much of it continues to come out that their efforts to hide it will not succeed much longer. Abortion really destroys itself. The more it continues, the more it reveals itself as an enemy of the human family. Those who advocate abortion say they care about women's health. But if they do, then they will have no honest rationale for ignoring the harm that abortion does. As the mountain of medical evidence against abortion grows, so should our hope that it will end. This is Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life.
6: Whenever I sit down with a homeowner, the number one question asked is always, which reverse mortgage option is best for me and my family? I personally will help you decide which reverse mortgage program is best for you. My job is to help active retirees find the best solution for their retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward, objective information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now.
2: Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. A couple of weeks ago, we had two gentlemen on, John Parkfan and Monsignor Lepinto, and they were talking about a dinner for Catholic Charities, which is going to be held on June 28th at, well, Monsignor, where is it going to be held? It's going to be held at Cipriano's uh, at Wall Street, which is between uh, Broadway, just off Broadway on Wall Street. Yeah, which is very close to the station where we broadcast from Wall Street and Broadway, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so right down the block. Yes. So, who the uh, who who what people are being uh given awards that night?
9: The honoree for the Bishop's Humanitarian Award will be Charles Murphy, who's the Senior VP of Turner Construction, and the honoree who will receive the Bishop Sullivan Award is Mr. Joseph. Collins, the third. uh, Joe is a member of our board of trustees and uh, has been with us on the board for probably 30 plus years. Joe is a retired uh, senior vice president of uh, Newberger Berman. And the third honoree uh, who will be receiving uh, the Ubi Caritas Award is uh, Dr. Lutas. Dr. Elizabeth Lutas uh, has spent her medical career providing care for homeless individuals. Getting back, who was Bishop Sullivan? Bishop Sullivan uh, was the uh, former vicar for human services uh, in the Diocese of Brooklyn. Bishop Sullivan uh, started out in Catholic Charities' work, uh, basically in child care, back in the late 50s, the early 60s. He was the uh, CEO of Catholic Charities through the 60s and then uh, went on to be, as I say, Vicar for Human Services. And He was very politically involved as well as recognized as one of the leading people in this country in the area of social services. And so uh, for many, many years he served as the liaison uh, from the, United States Catholic Bishops
2: to Catholic Charities uh, USA. So we're having the dinner on June 28th, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens, the annual Bishop's Humanitarian Awards Dinner at Cipriani's Wall Street. John, where, where can people find out about tickets or who should they contact?
10: They could feel free to give me a call. My direct line at Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is area code 718-722-722 six zero two four or feel free to send me an um an email and that is my name Jean it's french j e a n dot podvin, p o t v i n at ccbq dot org ccbq naturally stands for Catholic charities Brooklyn and queens
2: Okay, now you're going to talk hockey to some of the people, or the old Islander fans. Sure,
10: I, I do all the time. It's it's quite interesting. People get an opportunity, and they said, "I wondered if it was you that left a message or sent me an email." And uh, I love reliving those old times because they were great times.
2: So if somebody wants to talk hockey with you. You're they're not imposing.
10: No, not at all. I I actually enjoy it because it seems like most people that I speak to. About hockey, they will bring up some information that I'm not aware of or I never knew. And so I get a bit of trivia uh, about a lot of the players on my team my brother, our coach, uh, obviously Al Arbor. And, uh, you know, those years with the Islanders, and I played a total of, I think, uh, seven years there and a total of 12 years in the NHL. But the last six or seven, basically, with the New York Islanders are some of the best years of my life. So it brings back really fond memories, and I still
2: enjoy talking about it. Now, you talk to old Ranger fans or <laughs> Devils fans? Oh, well, Ranger
10: fans are always giving me a tough time, and but that's okay. We, we, we enjoy giving it back to each other. And it's funny because when I played against Roger Bear, Rod was a great player with the New York Rangers at that time. There was an unwritten rule that you never spoke to anybody on the other team when you're on the ice. And after a game, if you went to a restaurant or a bar and he was in there or he was in there having dinner with his wife, the unwritten rule was that I would have to turn around and go find some other place. Uh, but now, Rod and I, that we are both retired, we uh, I consider him one of my best friends, and I think he'd probably say the same thing, but not publicly, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, it, it's wonderful. The Ranger fans, they, they didn't like us, but that's okay. We didn't like them, but it was all about New York, so that's what counts.
2: Monsignor, what kind of work does Catholic Charities get involved with? And again, we're in Brooklyn and Queens here. Right. Catholic Charities uh, is involved in an array of social
9: services. One of the main areas uh, that we are involved with is affordable housing. We both develop and manage affordable housing. We have 21 buildings uh, that are servicing uh, seniors. And in those buildings, in addition to providing Uh, the apartments. Uh, We also provide social services to the seniors. Uh, In addition to that, we are very involved in early childhood education. Uh, We operate uh, Head Start and Early Head Start. And the uniqueness of our uh, Head Start programs uh, is that they all use the Montessori method. So in a sense, you have what can be very costly for people. Montessori, uh, we provide it uh, for basically people who qualify for Head Start, which would be low-income families. In addition to the child care services, we provide a lot of services for family, what we call family preservation, and the idea there being to try to help families Uh, to avoid situations where uh, a child might have to go into foster care. Uh, We have mental health clinics. We also provide uh, assistance for uh, people with mental illness in helping them to uh, gain independence and live on their own. And so we manage apartments uh, for the formerly homeless. Uh, We have programs for young adults. We uh, have our young adult internship program, where we uh, basically provide them with a um, with a site where they can get experience, uh, and also help them with their educational needs uh, in order to get their GEDs and go on hopefully to a college experience. Um, we have after school programs. And we have senior centers uh, throughout Brooklyn and Queens that provide uh, daily activities for seniors where they can come. In the mornings, there's usually some type of exercise programs. Uh, There's a hot meal provided. And then in the afternoon, there are recreational, social type of activities that go on. Um, So it's quite an array of, of programs in addition to that. We operate a nursing home out in Coney Island, St. Joachim and Anne, right up on the Broadwalk. It's a 200 bed facility uh, where we provide both short term and long term care. And we also have uh, in home services uh, that we provide. Um, we operate the largest uh, Meals on Wheels program in Queens over 2,000 meals delivered every day, uh, and in addition to that, we have other support services for seniors, uh, so it's it's quite an array of services, basically
2: from infant
9: care right through to that point in your life when you need to
2: be cared for. Now, I'm going to ask a stupid question, but some people in the audience may have it in their mind. you have to be Catholic? No. To- so long as you come and
9: have a need and we're able to service you, we will service you. There are no restrictions as to race, creed, or any <clears throat> other issues. We also are fortunate enough to have people who can deal with uh, basically multilingual. and So we have people who can deal with uh, people of Spanish uh, background, Spanish language, Creole, uh, you know, and we continue to expand our ability to function as a multilingual and multiracial agency. Hey, John, how'd you get involved with Catholic Charities?
10: Well, we talked about my uh, hockey career. I uh, I knew I had to uh, do something else after I retired, and that was back in the early 80s, and I I decided to work on Wall Street. And I worked on the institutional side of Wall Street for probably 25 years or so until... 2012. Um, and I work with some good firms, uh, but a lot of these firms, they four or five years later, they get acquired by somebody else, a different culture. So I'd move on. So I started with DLJ, selling institutional research to large money management firms like Fidelity and Putnam and so on. But then I got to the point where I said, I'd like to do something different with my life. And uh, I, I, Took a year off or close to a year off trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And a very dear friend of mine, Peter Striano, was also a major board member with Catholic Charities. Um, We had lunch one day and I told him, I said, I don't know what I want to do, but I'm not going back to Wall Street. And he says, would you have an interest in Catholic Charities? And I says, well, I'm Catholic, but I, I don't think I know a whole lot about them. And he arranged for me to meet with some of the key people, uh, Bishop Sullivan and a number of others. Um, and I toured some of the facilities that Monsignor was just talking about. And once I looked into it, after a couple of weeks, I, I was really significantly impressed at a point where I said, you know, I think that's something I'd like to do. I mean, it's, it's, it, you're helping people. It gives you a sense of good feeling and accomplishment when you do that. And uh, that's how I made a decision. And this coming Labor Day weekend will be my third year, full, complete three years with the Catholic Charities. I'm very happy.
2: Monsignor, if somebody makes a donation to Catholic Charities, what percentage of the pennies on the dollar goes to help the poor people that need it?
9: We're able to operate with... uh, I think the last figures that I was provided with, ninety cents of every dollar goes back into service.
2: So you guys are not collecting exorbitant salaries, obviously. No, we're not.
9: No, nobody
10: nobody is. And and that's really that's something that did impress me a lot as well, because there are many charities out there and many of them don't, you know, have ninety cents of your dollar working for it. So I'm not trying to badmouth anybody else, I'm just trying to say that it's very impressive when I know that if I make a donation, 90% of it is going to the purpose of helping people who live in poverty and need services of some kind or another in Brooklyn and Queens. Besides
2: going to the dinner on June 28, how can somebody contribute to Catholic Charities in Brooklyn? Well, there are many
9: ways that they could contribute. They could become a monthly donor. Uh, We have a program uh, that they can sign up on at our website. Uh, They can make a bequest, uh, remember us in their will. Um, They can support our other activities, which are uh, in addition to the dinner. Uh, We have a golf outing uh, at the end of September. We have a jazz and cocktail event uh, that takes place in November. There's a collection that's taken up in every parish here in Brooklyn and Queens at Christmas, and they can support us uh, through that. Uh, We have an event in uh, the spring, which is the uh, coat of arms club, where they can join uh, and have uh, a brunch at the bishop's house. And receive a beautiful plaque. Um, So there are multiple opportunities. Many of those opportunities can uh, easily be seen by going to our website, which is CCBQ, uh, www.ccbq.com. Uh, Mm. dot com correct right
2: okay and if anybody has any further questions you missed that you can always give us a call at the office and we'll give you the information and john will you give me your phone number again
10: yes my phone number my direct line is area code seven one eight seven two two six zero two four
2: and uh be glad to take your call if you call me and I just want to make one final point when we're talking about estate planning and elder law. I know there are a lot of people out there, senior citizens in Brooklyn and Queens, they're what we call real estate rich and cash poor. And they really don't have the money to make a contribution while they're alive because they're living on a fixed income. And we know it's tough to make ends meet in today's world. But a lot of cases, the same people have a house that's worth 500000 in Brooklyn, $2 million even if you have children, it doesn't hurt too much if you slice a little bit part of the proceeds from the sale of that house and give it to charity. And one of the charities I recommend you think about is Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens.
11: We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. I have
2: children. How can I protect them if
9: something happens to me? Will my
5: assets be lost if I go into a nursing home? We have property. How How will it affect the ones still here? Who will help us take care of grandma? you know, a lot
2: of times on our show, we, we deal with well, we've had generals on, and we've been talking about great battles. And ordinarily, the great battles we're talking about are land battles. Uh, today, we're going to be a little bit different. We're, we're going to be talking to the former Supreme Commander of NATO's Allied Forces, and, you know, believe me, that's a big deal, retired Admiral James Stravitas. And, you know, it's probably I should be spending more time about sea battles and whatever, so maybe we'll try to adjust that over the next couple of months or whatever. But here's an interview that we recorded a few days ago with Admiral Stravitas. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Right now, we're very pleased to have retired Admiral James Stravitas. How are you doing today, sir?
12: I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on, Mike.
2: And you've got a book on Sea Power, the History and Geopolitics of the World's Oceans. We know generally what it's about, specifically what's the book about.
12: It's really about three things. One is the uh, the alliance systems around the world, how we use our sea power to respond to crises, as in uh, North Korea, Syria, the Arctic, and so forth. Secondly, about trade, the importance of the global trading networks, 95% of all trade moves on the oceans, and thirdly, about uh, environmental challenges we face at sea. So it tries to weave all those strands together with some history and some current geopolitics, Mike. Now, when
2: you talk about history, do you go way back to the Peloponnesian Wars and, you know, the, let's say, even the Middle Ages Battle of Aponto?
12: I do. And, of course, as a Greek-American, I'm required at all times to go all the way back to the Greeks. <laughs> but uh, the uh, sea battles between Athens and Sparta were incredibly significant geopolitical events of that time. The Athenian ability to stop the Persians at sea changed the course of not only global history, but human history. And I track the history all the way through the British at Trafalgar, through Lepanto, as you mentioned, in the central Mediterranean in the 1500s, and through the Battle of Midway and other epic naval battles of the 20th century, and what we're doing on the oceans today.
2: A lot of people out there are saying, you know, like, well, naval sea power, isn't that the thing of the 20th century and before it's not really part of the 21st century
12: (laughs) that's just so wrong if you stop and look at um, what we're doing around korea and the korean peninsula it's uh, like florida surrounded by water we've got aircraft carriers cruisers destroyers tomahawk missiles what we're doing in uh syria right now tomahawk missiles launched into syria yesterday a Navy fighter jet operating from the aircraft carrier USS George Bush shot down the Syrian aircraft there up in the Arctic, where we see continuing competition between the United States, Russia, and other nations. Um, It's our ships that are going to operate up there. Uh, Everywhere you turn, looking at these crises, you need a strong and capable american sea power in order to ensure american power
2: now you brought up the arctic ocean what's going to happen in the future up there
12: i think we'll see uh, first of all the ice will continue to melt there'll be more openings that means shipping lanes will open it means hydrocarbons will be more exposed and you're going to see competition between russia which has the largest arctic coastline and five nato nations that have the rest of that that's united states canada Norway, Iceland, and Greenland, which is part of Denmark. So there's going to be that kind of a, no pun intended, Cold War up there as the nations compete for those resources as they open up. It's another reason we need to keep our focus on our sea power.
2: But what is the point of the Arctic Ocean? What, why is that strategic?
12: I'll give you three reasons. First of all, because um, the largest uh, levels of hydrocarbons, natural Gas and oil uh, exist up there, secondly, because of the ability to transit it, saves um, millions of miles off uh, collective shipping routes around the world, so it becomes uh, and It will become an, uh, one of the main highways of the world in terms of the 95 percent of trade that moves. And then thirdly, because of uh, hydrocarbons, because of photosynthesis that occurs up there, it will impact the global environment a great deal. It's a very strategic body of water.
2: In your book, you mention the movie Captain Phillips. Piracy. How much of a problem is that on the high seas?
12: It's uh, reduced uh, somewhat over the last five years, but I'd say in round numbers it introduces a uh, 25 to $50 billion discontinuity in the global transportation grid. It's not just in the Indian Ocean, which was the venue of Captain Phillips. It's in the Strait of Malacca, which connects the Pacific and the Indian Oceans. It's in the Caribbean right here at home. It's on west coast of Africa in the Gulf of Guinea, one of the rich oil-bearing underwater regions in the world. It's a, it's a significant problem, and what we really ought to worry about is the potential, uh, Mike, for a confluence between terrorist activities and piracy. Right now, piracy is primarily economically driven, conceivably terrorists could use that and use the oceans much more effectively against us. That's something I worry about.
2: What is the advice you would give to this administration or future administrations as to the future of the United States Navy?
12: Number one, we need to rebuild the fleet. We've allowed it to atrophy significantly over the past decades. In the Cold War, we had about a thousand ships Under Reagan, at the latter part of the Cold War, we had 600 ships. Today, we're down to 275 ships in the U.S. Navy, smallest we've been since World War I. We need to rebuild that fleet. Most observers say we need a minimum of 350 ships. I agree with that. So point one would be uh, rebuild the fleet. Point two would be we need to ensure that we are um, preparing ourselves for uh... ocean going activities including merchant shipping uh... including uh, rebuilding our maritime academies um, the oceans are going to continue to be vitally important and number three um, the first question every president asks in a crisis mike is where are the carriers uh, the administration needs to understand where its fleet is deployed how to use it and how to effectively employ it Uh, in order to create real effect for the nation.
2: Is the fleet adequate today?
12: It's not. We're uh, undersized. Um, The fleet is aging. Two particular areas of concern are our uh, ballistic missile submarines are the backbone of our nuclear deterrence. Um, They're aging rapidly. We need to Uh, build new ones or they'll risk being detectable, risk uh, decreasing our ability to have that deterrent capability. And secondly, we're somewhat falling behind in our ability to respond to what are called hypersonic cruise missiles. These are uh, technology that both the Russians and the Chinese are employing, makes our carriers vulnerable. We need to be better at that as well. So we have some uh, gaps we need to address between ourselves and our competitors at sea.
2: So, what is it you want the reader to take away from the book Sea Power?
12: I'll give you three things. Um, one is the the richness and the importance of the sea in the history of nations going back as we talked about all the way to the Athenians but also to the Ottomans to the British to America in the 20th century sea power comes up again and again as this kind of small hinge upon which really big doors swing number two is Uh, the importance of a reasonably sized and capable U.S. Navy to protect the global commons, to make sure that we can operate in these seas. And then thirdly, Mike, I hope people would take away uh, my love of the ocean. I spent a great deal of my life in the Navy and uh, 11 years day for day on the deep ocean, out of sight of land. It's an office with a view. It's a beautiful place, and I hope that people find time to appreciate the oceans in an aesthetic sense, get to see Get on a cruise ship. Get out there and enjoy the oceans, even if it's only going to the beach and uh, looking at them. The oceans matter to us geopolitically, economically, and aesthetically as well.
2: The name of the book, Sea Power, the History and Geopolitics of the World's Oceans by Admiral James Stravitas. Thank you much for very much for being on our show. Thanks a lot, Mike. Appreciate it. And best to everybody up in New York. Thank you. Okay. Well, something to think about. Now, next week's show, we're going to have one of our old friends on it, and old in more than one reason, Ed Bars. He's going to be 94 (laughs) this week, and he's going to be talking about one of my favorite and, as it turns out, one of his favorite Civil War generals, fighting Tom Sweeney. As far as we can tell, he's the only general in U.S. history. He's been court-martialed three times and still retired on a general's pension. Plus, he was wounded about another four times, which is... One of the reasons, I guess, why he was allowed that, you know, pension. Now, Adriana, where did you meet Ed Bars?
3: I met Mr. Ed Bars at the Civil War Roundtable of New York.
2: Right. Now, we take a recess for the summer, but we're going to be back up, I think, September 13th is our first meeting in the fall and in October. And we're going to have, you know, we haven't filled out our schedule yet, but it's a place where you can meet. Like, those of you who remember Ken Burns' Civil War... Ed Bars was half the show, and here you have a chance to talk to Ed Bars in person, and you can ask him any question whatsoever about the Civil War, and he's going to know the answer. You know, you said, my uncle, great-great-uncle, was in the 3rd U.S. Infantry, and where was he at the time of Gettysburg on July 1st, 1863? And it borrows will give you the answer, tell you who his commanding officer was, and a few other facts here and there. And it probably the only thing is you better have time to listen to the answer, because the answer may take 10 to 15 minutes. But it, it, it's an experience you really can't get. And if you're interested in history, please contact our office about more about the Civil War Roundtable. We're going to meet at the 3 West Club, 3 West 51st Street. That's the corner of 51st Street and 5th Avenue near St. Patrick's Cathedral. And... You know, we're keeping our costs down. It's going to be a $60 cost to go in, but you get a three-course meal on it. And, you know, you get a a chance to talk to great historians. Now, next week also at Greenwood Cemetery is going to be the unveiling of the bust of Thomas Francis Marr. And I think, Bridget, you gave me a book about Thomas Francis Marr.
5: I did. The Immortal Irishman.
2: Which right now one of our attorneys is reading in our office, Justin Daly.
5: Is he? Yes,
2: he's reading the <laughs> book on Thomas Francis Marr.
5: So he'll be able to answer all your questions.
2: Right, or at least some of them. David Kincaid's telling we us to go home.
9: here on hallowed ground. The voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here
1: on hallowed ground to sing this song away.